0: We have a very short Christmas sermon series. It will be this Sunday, Christmas Eve, and Christmas Sunday. Uh, even though we've got a new Christmas series, we're staying in the book of Hebrews today, staying, looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In fact, as I considered what we as a church would focus on during this Christmas season, I wanted to do the same thing that we did last Christmas. Namely, I wanted to use a passage from Hebrews, the book that we are currently preaching through, use a passage as a springboard for considering the birth of Christ. Now, I've entitled my sermon, Silent Night Loves Pure Light. And that's from the song uh, Silent Night, the Christmas Carol. And it conveys to us a couple of themes that I would like to consider this morning. Themes that are also found in the first three verses of the book of Hebrews. The verses which speak of the coming of the Son of God, though speaking in it in a roundabout way. We see in those verses an indication of the coming of the Son. And that is done by making reference to God speaking. In some ways, the coming of the Son was the breaking of God's silence. These verses also introduce the theme of waiting. It was a long time that the people of God waited for the sun to come. One final theme these verses introduce, a theme often connected with Christmas, is the theme of light. The coming of God's Son was a coming that was long awaited for, a coming that broke God's silence, and a coming of light into the darkness. The Christmas story, as we will see, has long been an event that has been associated with waiting, with silence, and with light. Maybe this is never more evident than when we sing the Christmas songs at Christmas time. As I mentioned to you, the verse, the stanza from which my title for the sermon is the third stanza of Silent Night. And in it, we can see the ideas of waiting, of silence, and of light. Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face, with dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. As we read God's word now, let us keep in mind the waiting of God's people, the breaking of God's silence, and the shining. Of God's light. Our passage is Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. I encourage you to open up your Bibles or turn on your devices so that you can read along as I read aloud. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. By his son, defeats the despair of waiting, disrupts the silence of God, and dispels the darkness of a sinful world. Let's spend a few minutes introducing these themes a little bit more. Point number one, despair, silence, darkness. Despair, silence, darkness. These three themes are hinted at in these verses from Hebrews. The people waited in despair. The people suffered in silence. And the people were in distress in the darkness. Let's start with waiting in despair. The author of Hebrews writes after the time of Jesus. But his opening words give us a sense of what the Jewish people were experiencing immediately prior to Jesus' birth. God, a God who communicated it to his people, Through human instruments, the prophets spoke to his people long ago. The final words of God through the prophets occurred nearly 400 years before the birth of Jesus. Since that time, God's people had been waiting in silence, and they'd been despairing. Not only had their promised Messiah not come, but God had stopped speaking. Scholars largely agree that the book of Malachi contains the last words of God chronologically from the Old Testament. Let's take a look at those words. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. The last words of God in the Old Testament. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch but for you who fear my name the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when i act says the lord of hosts remember the law of my servant moses the statutes and rules that i commanded him at horeb for all israel Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The final words of God from the time of the prophets were certainly words of hope. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, but it was also a word of foreboding judgment, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so the people of God waited. They waited under the threat of judgment, and perhaps that hope of salvation slowly over the decades and centuries disappeared. Salvation and the Messiah had not come. The second thematic idea revealed in these opening verses is the idea of silence. God spoke long ago through the prophets, but in these days, through his son, in between the times of long ago and the times of the last days, God was silent in terms of special revelation. He was silent in terms of what he would give to his people. He had always spoken to his people. He spoke in the time of the patriarchs. He spoke in the time of Moses. He spoke in the time of the judges and the kings. And he spoke in the time of the prophets. But God, for 400 years, was no longer speaking to them. And surely the silence of God added to their suffering. Then there was darkness. In a memorable way, musicians Simon and Garfunkel connect the ideas of silence and darkness. The first line of their hit song, The Sound of Silence, is a rather iconic opening. Hello darkness, my old friend. The time of silence between the prophet Malachi and the coming of Jesus is also connected to this idea of darkness. The verses in Hebrews alert us to the importance of light when they make reference to God. And they make reference to the coming of Jesus. We are told that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. That is, Jesus is the shining forth of divinity. And in stating it thus, the author of Hebrews introduces this idea of light, and therefore the idea of darkness. We will see this idea of darkness during the silent waiting for the Messiah is clearly connected to the darkness in the Old Testament. So as we consider the coming of Jesus this morning, as we consider the coming of Jesus in this Christmas season, and we look at the first three verses of the book of Hebrews, let us wrestle with these three ideas. Let us wrestle them with them because they can help us to glory in the coming of the savior, but also give us avenues for application. Let's look at waiting in despair, suffering in silence, and distressing in darkness. We'll start with my second point, Waiting in Despair. The famous Christian hymn, O Holy Night, describes the fateful existence of all people in general, and God's people in particular, while they waited for a Savior to come. The hymn goes, Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. That word pining means languishing. It means despairing. And God's people particularly felt this way. The Jews were the people of the patriarchs. They were the people of Abraham and Isaac. They were the people of Jacob. They were the people of Moses and the people of the covenant. They were the people of King David and King Solomon. And most recently, they were the people that God spoke to through the prophets. And they had been waiting for salvation. They had been waiting for a Savior. They had been waiting since the time of Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, we read of the expected Savior and his salvation when God judges the serpent. After deceiving humanity to sin, we read in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." So from the very beginning and down through the ages, the people of God waited. From the time of humanity's parents to the time of the patriarchs and through the time of Moses and Joshua and Samuel and David and Solomon and Isaiah, the people waited. They waited for a Savior who could gain them access to God. They waited for a Savior who could save them from their sin. And Scripture makes it clear that their waiting was the waiting of despair. We see this in the second chapter of Luke where we read that there was a righteous and devout man in Jerusalem. And this righteous and devout man was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That phrase, consolation of Israel, is an interesting one. Throughout their history, the people of Israel had suffered greatly. They initially lived under slavery in Egypt. They had been oppressed by many other nations. They were in the time of this Man, this righteous, devout man, laboring under the rule of Rome. And they continued to be people who were desperately in need of consolation and comfort. They were waiting to be consoled. Now, to console is to alleviate great grief. It's to take away a sense of loss or a sense of trouble. And so they were clearly in despair as they waited for the consolation of Israel. However, that righteous man, a man named Simeon, knew that the consolation of Israel referred to the promised Messiah. And that promised Messiah would remove sorrow and he would comfort the nation. Simeon and generations before him waited for the coming of the one who would console God's people. The prophet Isaiah saw this. Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would take on the ministry of consolation. We read in Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The coming of Messiah was the coming of one who could defeat despair and bring consolation to his people. Let us take a moment this morning to take a closer look at this story, the story of Simeon. We read about it in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You see, the coming of Jesus was the defeat of despair. Simeon could depart in peace. His eyes had seen God's salvation. His eyes had seen the consolation of Israel. Now, both unbelievers and believers this morning have an opportunity to apply this truth to our lives. If you're here this morning and you are an unbeliever, I would ask you to note that the coming of Jesus was the coming of the Savior of the world who defeated the despair, the despair that comes with being sinners who are spiritually dead and separated from God. Simeon waited. He waited like the rest of Israel, like the rest of the nation, but he did not despair because he had a hope. And his hopes were realized because the Savior had come. Unbeliever, let me encourage you this Christmas season to do what Simeon did. Lay hold of Christ. Simeon, we're told, when Jesus was brought to him, took him up in his arms. Unbeliever, you can take him up in your arms this Christmas season. And you can do so by turning to him in faith. I encourage you, lay hold of Christ. Truly see the Savior this Christmas season. And experience the removal of despair because the hope of the world has come. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer, you should be doubly encouraged this morning not to despair. First, you already know your despair-defeating Savior has come. You know that he has saved you from sin. and You know that he has saved you to God. So don't despair. Long you lay in sin and error pining. But he appeared and your soul felt its worth. Though despairing, you experienced the thrill of hope and your weary soul rejoiced. So don't despair. Regardless of what you are suffering through, and I know many of you suffer, know that your Savior has come. Lay hold of Jesus in your salvation and be encouraged this Christmas season. Secondly, believer, you know that in another sense, we are still waiting. We are still waiting for the full salvation of Jesus. We still suffer in body. We still suffer in soul. There is evil in this world, and there is evil in our hearts. But we do not despair because we have a hope, a hope of the return of our Savior. We, like Simeon, can wait in hope because as the hymn, O Holy Night, also declares, in his name, all oppression shall cease. We can have hope in our waiting this Christmas season because the oppression of this world will come to an end at the second coming of Christ. And so I say to you, believer, lay hold of Christ this morning and hope in his return. Unbeliever and believer alike, lay hold of Christ lay hold of Christ who came, lay hold of Christ who saves, lay hold of Christ who will come again. Now let's move from the despair of waiting to consider suffering in silence. Part of the despair that was experienced by God's people was precipitated by God's revelatory silence. Point number three, suffering in silence. The coming of Jesus disrupted the revelatory silence of God. Now let us understand that in some ways, God still spoke between the time of the prophet Malachi and the New Testament times. God always speaks through providence, and God always speaks through the creation, but his special revelation had ceased. Between the God spoke to our fathers by the prophets and he has spoken to us by his son were 400 years of suffering in silence. What's interesting about the silence they suffered through is that it was not a silence completely absence, uh, uh, with the complete absence of noise. There was actually lots of noise over those ensuing years. The Greeks and Alexander the Great made lots of noise as they conquered Persia and Babylon and Palestine and Syria and Egypt and western India. And wherever they went, they promoted their culture. And the noise of the Greeks was heard in Israel as they too came under the powerful Hellenizing influence of these oppressors. The Syrians and Antiochus the Great also made lots of noise when they annexed Judea and set about destroying every distinctive characteristic of the Jewish faith. There was a tumult as they put an end to sacrifices, as they put an end to circumcision, as they put an end to the observance of the Sabbath and other feasts. And of course, the Romans and the Caesars made lots of noise, right up until the time of Jesus' birth and after it. The Jews were oppressed by this brutal regime, And their suffering continued. Yet, despite all of this noise, they still suffered in silence. They suffered the silence of God, and it added to their suffering. And yet, with the coming of Jesus on the threshold, God did not remain quiet, His silence was broken. His silence was broken when he sent an angel to speak to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. We read about that in Luke chapter 1, verse 12 through 17. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, that is when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have You see, God picks up where he left off 400 years ago. He picks up with the one who would turn the heart of God's people and who would prepare God's people for the coming of Messiah. The silence was broken when God spoke to the father of John the Baptist. And we see in the Christmas story, God continued to speak. And he continued to speak by angels. Angels who would instruct all mankind of the nature of the birth of the Son of God. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 12. We read, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The event known as the birth of Jesus is declared by angels. And it's a declaration of good tidings and great joy. When God broke his communication, it was to communicate his people tidings of great joy. And so let's take note this morning God is not silent. And again, the carols of Christmas time teach us this truth God, rest ye merry, gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray, oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, oh, tidings of comfort and joy. God broke his silence, and the news, the good news, was news of comfort and joy. And this news disrupted the seeming silence of God, and it can do so in your life. This morning, God beckons us all into joy, joy found in the news of a Savior born in Bethlehem who is fully God and fully man, fully God and fully man that he might accomplish the obedience we could not accomplish, fully God and fully man that he might be our representative, our substitute that our sins might be paid for, fully God and fully man that he might be a worthy sacrifice for sin. Fully God and fully man, that he might reconcile us to God. Fully God and fully man, that he might conquer death. Now, believer, you too may at times feel like God is silence. And part of that feeling of God being silence might be due to the noise of a culture gone astray. It's hard to hear God when the cacophony of sin in our society blares in our ears. One congregant brought to my attention that there are commercials on TV promoting assisted suicide. I recently read that over 10,000 people in Canada availed themselves of what our government calls medical assistance in dying. 10,000 people. The government wishes to expand this program, to include those who suffer with mental health issues, and even children. Brothers and sisters, God can seem silent with this blaring noise of pernicious evil in our ears, and it doesn't stop there. There is... This noise from culture telling us that marriage isn't what God and what every human society since the beginning of time has declared it to be. And it blares in our ears. It makes it seem sometimes like God is silent. There is noise from culture telling us that what a person identifies as determines whether or not they are a man or a woman. And those who feel differently than the reality of their biology should change their biology, and they do, should do so with drugs and with surgery. A godless culture can be deafening to people trying to listen for God. But understand, believer, God is not silence in the mid. God is not silent in the midst of all this noise. He has spoken in his word. He's spoken in his word on these issues, and we must hear him. And as the noise of an evil culture grows louder, and I think it will grow louder, we must hear God. and We must not lose hope thinking that God is silent. He's spoken, and he's spoken with particular clarity in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate at Christmas time. And so, unbeliever and believer alike, the Christmas story calls us to the gospel. It calls us to find joy in the midst of suffering and sin in this world. It calls us to find joy and comfort in the Savior who was born in Bethlehem and died in Jerusalem and who was raised and sits at God's right hand. Let us not let the noise of a culture and a society running wild deafen us to the tidings of comfort and joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've talked about waiting in despair and the, the hope that the Christmas story reminds us of. We've talked about the noisy silence being disrupted by this Christmas story. Let us finish this morning with the dispelling of the distress of darkness. Point number four, distressing in darkness. The coming of Christ dispels darkness. The Bible describes that period of time before the coming of Christ as a time of darkness. Now, if we go to the ninth chapter of Isaiah, it gives us one of the most well-known prophecies of the coming of Jesus. Isaiah 9, chapter 6, you've heard it before. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But that same prophecy in Isaiah 9 describes the time of the Jews before Jesus came. We read in Isaiah 9 too, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them Has light shone? That long period of waiting, that era in which God seemed silent, was for God's people a time of darkness. This darkness was the darkness of sin. This darkness was the darkness of judgment. This darkness was the darkness of ignorance. And this darkness is the darkness of death. The light that the coming of Jesus represents in Scripture is mirrored, but Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that this babe born in Bethlehem, this baby wrapped in cloths and put in a manger, is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus, even in that manger, is the shining manifestation of God's supreme worth for all the world to see. Again, Christmas carols recognize this connection between light and the coming of Christ. We sing, hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. We also sing, O night divine, thy hallowed beams returning. Proclaim the news of the dear Savior's birth while grateful hearts with love and rapture burning take up the song of goodwill to all the earth. The light of hope still, the waking world rejoices, while yet more bright she beholds the glorious morn. And finally, shepherds in the field abiding, watching o'er your flocks by night, God with us is now residing, yonder shines the infant light. Jesus would later, in his time of public ministry, call himself the light of the world. The coming of Jesus was the coming of spiritual light, a spiritual light that would dispel the darkness. He would dispel the darkness of sin in his death. He would dispel the darkness of judgment through his vicarious sin bearing. He would dispel the darkness of ignorance by bringing the knowledge of God through his teaching. And he would dispel the darkness of death through his resurrection. The coming of Jesus dispels darkness. And so let me ask you a question this morning. What darkness do you find yourself in this Christmas season? As I considered that question, as I considered what darkness we might address this morning... I asked our staff and our elders and some of our congregants, what darkness our people were walking in. And I want to speak to one of those darknesses that was a common concern on the hearts of many of them. And that darkness is the darkness of sickness. You see, some of you are walking in the darkness of ailing physical health. We are aware that many of you are fighting cancer. My guess is there are more that we don't know about. And so some of you are literally walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And there are many other physical needs that have other people walking through their own dark time. Some of you are walking in the darkness of ailing mental health, depression, and despair. Bring dark days for some of you. And that darkness is often amplified at Christmas time. Constant and sometimes controlling anxiety casts a shadow of darkness over some of you as well. And dementia. Dementia is a terrible darkness that some of you are beginning to travel through this Christmas season. And darkness continues. Some of you are walking in the darkness of a disease called addiction. It might be addiction to drugs or to alcohol or pornography. The dark specter of that enslavement does not cease at Christmas time. And though I understand that these darknesses are, are very complex and, of course, require more care than I can express in a few minutes of a servant sermon, can I encourage you this morning? If you're walking through the darkness of physical, Illness, if you're walking through the darkness of a mental health issue, if you're walking through the darkness of an addiction, look to Christ this Christmas season. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, again, one of the most famous passages speaking about the coming of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Brothers and sisters, as you walk in the darkness of physical sickness, as you walk in the darkness of a mental health issue, As you walk in the darkness of addiction, let me remind you this morning that the coming of Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the coming of Jesus was the coming of life, and that life is the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and cannot overcome it. Cry out to the light of the world. Cry out to Jesus in your time of darkness and ask him to shine his light on you. Let Christmas remind you of him and remind you of his work and be encouraged. I finish with one final darkness, a darkness related to those I have just mentioned. Because I know many of you are caregivers. You're caregivers to those who walk in darkness in the darkness of sickness and disease, in the darkness of mental health issues, in the darkness of addiction. And because you walk with them in their darkness, you walk in darkness as well. I understand that there can be a profound darkness for those of you caring for an ailing spouse. There can be profound darkness for those of you anguishing over an addicted child. Caring for a dying parent can cast a thick pall over the path that some of you walk in. Holding the hands of those dealing with depression or suicidal thoughts or an anxiety disorder can seem like a black night that just won't end. And if the darkness you deal with this Christmas season is the darkness of a caregiver the darkness of one who walks in the darkness of someone else's physical disease or mental illness or raging addiction. Let me say, as I said to them, there is light for you in the Christmas story. There is light for you in the coming of Christ because he is the radiance of God. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus is God's light shining in your hearts. So look to Jesus. Let the story of the Son of God coming into the world be the catalyst for the shining of God in your hearts. As we've learned in the book of Hebrews, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. And his rod and staff will comfort you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So look to Jesus. Find light in his incarnation. Find light in his life of perfect obedience. Find light in his atoning sacrifice. Find light in his thrilling resurrection. Find light in his glorious ascension. And find light in his certain second coming. Let us all in the midst of the darkness we walk in look to Jesus. Let's look to Jesus and perhaps sing the words of a hymn that one of our elders brought to my attention this week. Joyful, joyful, we adore you. God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you, by your Spirit, would help us. Would you help us as we wait? As we wait for your second coming, would you help us to wait, not in despair, but in hope? Let us learn from the Christmas story and from Simeon that hope in you is always answered when it's hope in your promises. Let us understand that just as you came to save the world, you will come again to save your people. And let us take solace in that. And I pray, Father God, that in the midst of the noisy silence of living in a culture that has turned its back on you, you would help us to realize that you are not silent. Your silence was broken forever when Christ came, when the angels announced that there would be one who would be born in the spirit of Elijah, that there would be one who would prepare a way for the coming of the Lord. And then the angel spoke again. These are tidings of joy. This is good news. Father God, let us know and understand that you are not silent. You have spoken through the coming of your son. You have spoken through his life and death and resurrection. And I pray, Father God, by your spirit, you would help us, help those of us who walk in darkness, in the darkness of physical sickness, in the darkness of mental illness, in the darkness of addiction, and the darkness of caring for those who suffer in such ways. Let us look to Jesus, to the light of the world. Let us be reminded this Christmas season, Father God, by your spirit, that his coming was the coming of of life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.